Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! With that album opener as today's episode introduction, I welcome you to the I Am Vinyl podcast. My name is Pete LaRussa, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in here at cnjradio.com or if you're a subscriber via Apple Podcasts. And today's episode is a first on this podcast, the Vinyl Versary Edition, Volume 1, solely dedicated to albums that have recently hit a milestone anniversary since the last edition of Another random set of 25 songs, the February 2020 edition, as normally I would include recent anniversaries as part of those episode playlists. This time I decided to separate this idea into two shows, and I will follow up this episode with 
another random set of 25 songs, the April 2020 edition, at the end of this month. As you heard at the top of this episode, the first album to be acknowledged on this final versary edition is Aerosmith's Toys in the Attic, as I open this show up with the title track, which was taken from my 1979 vinyl reissue. The album itself was released 45 years ago on April 8, 1975. Sometime in the late 80s, I picked up a nice price edition on cassette for $4.99 after owning my first Aerosmith album on vinyl and overall for a little while and really giving it a lot of heavy play at the time, which was a Columbia House pressing of Aerosmith's Greatest Hits compilation from 1980. It was from buying that nice price edition on cassette of Toys in the Attic that I found out Sweet Emotion was heavily edited on that Greatest Hits compilation. I would eventually pick up the album on CD in the 90s until picking up the reissued vinyl from 1979 as heard at the top of the show. The album would go on to peak at number 10 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart and multi-platinum status selling over 8 million copies to date. It's been my favorite album by Aerosmith ever since I'd acquired that nice price cassette and I don't see that changing anytime soon, if at all at this point. Songs like Walk This Way and Sweet Emotion may have been played to death on classic rock radio at this point, although I can never get tired of the riffery and Tom Hamilton's main bass line in Sweet Emotion. But songs like the title track, No More No More, Round and Round, and one of my favorite ballads in their discography, You See Me Crying, keep me coming back to Toys in the Attic as my main go-to album whenever I want to listen to Aerosmith. So let's move on now to the second track of today's Vinylversary edition, and to a band who co-headlined a tour in 2003 with Aerosmith, a band that has been the subject of three roundtable discussions on the I Am Vinyl podcast, KISS. As with Aerosmith's Toys in the Attic being their third album released 45 years ago on April 8, 1975, KISS released their third album a few weeks before Aerosmith's Toys in the Attic 45 years ago on March 19, 1975, which was entitled Dressed to Kill. Currently certified gold, it's an album which would go on to peak at number 32 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart and contain the original studio version of Rock and Roll All Night, which would become a bigger hit single than their original studio version on their follow-up album, Alive. We covered Dress to Kill extensively on part one of our KISS roundtable discussion back on episode five of the I Am Vinyl podcast. So if you haven't heard that discussion yet and are interested in hearing more details about the album itself, check out episode five for part one of our KISS roundtable discussion from September 7th, 2019. As I've mentioned before on this podcast, almost all of the KISS studio albums from 1974 to 1979 were in my earliest childhood hand-me-down vinyl collection. Dress to Kill was one of them, so it will always hold a special place in my mind on that alone. But I've always enjoyed this album, and the song I've chosen to play on this episode to honor the 45th anniversary of its release is one we did not play during part one of our KISS roundtable discussion, which gives me the opportunity to play it now, as it's one of my favorite KISS songs from the 70s. It's a song that would be covered years later by Skid Row and featured on their 1992 EP, Beside Ourselves. Taken from the 2014 180-gram remaster, 
here's a track that opens up side two, and the song is called Come On and Love Me. That was Kiss with Come On and Love Me from the album Dress to Kill, as we'll move on now to a band that Gene Simmons would highly endorse and attempt to gain Kiss's manager Bill Coyne's interest to work with them before they would eventually be signed by Warner Brothers Records. The band I'm talking about is Van Halen, as we have another third album which recently hit a milestone anniversary, Women and Children First, originally released 40 years ago, on March 16, 1980. Whether you're a fan of Van Halen or not, the stories of what took place during the photo shoot for this album and the inevitable decision to include a solo shot of David Lee Roth on a poster that would be enclosed in the first run of vinyl pressings is some interesting reading that I highly recommend if you want to see just how dysfunctional things became at a quick rate from when the band released their debut album in 1978 
up until this point. The album would go on to peak at number six on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart and has sold over three million copies. So with that all being said, taken from my original first-run vinyl pressing, which includes the poster, the track I'm going to play is the second track on the album Women and Children First, and the song is called Everybody Wants Some.
That was Van Halen with Everybody Wants Some from their third album, Women and Children First. And next up is an anniversary of one of my all-time favorite debut albums, which was released 30 years ago on February 22nd, 1990. It's the debut album by Love Hate, entitled Blackout in the Red Room. I would originally pick up this album on cassette at Record Factory after seeing the debut of the video for the title track, Blackout in the Red Room on MTV's Headbangers Ball, eventually acquiring the original CD and vinyl copies later on. The album would go on to peak at number 154 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart. To me, this is one of Tom Werman's most underrated album productions among his long list of albums he had produced between the late 70s and early 90s, and it continues to be an album I listen to a few times a year. The track I'm going to play is the title track which gained my interest in the band in the first place. Taken from my original vinyl copy, here is the album opener, Blackout in the Red Room. Yeah. 
That was Love Hate with the title track from their debut album, Blackout in the Red Room. As we're going to move on to another album which turned 30 years old a little more recently, as it was originally released on April 10th, 1990. This would be the third full-length album by the Bay Area thrash metal band Death Angel, produced by Max Norman, and would be the first and only album released by Geffen Records. Act 3. I first discovered Death Angel by chance because my older brother Vincent picked up their previous album, Frolic Through the Park, on cassette, just because they'd covered Kiss's Cold Gin. He was buying a bunch of albums at the time from bands he'd never heard of because they'd covered Kiss to go along with his Kiss and Associated music collection. Then MTV premiered their video for the first single, Seemingly Endless Time, on Headbangers Ball, and once I saw that video and heard the song, I wanted to pick up this album which I'd pick up first on CD within a year or so of its release, after borrowing the cassette from Andrea Verderame a few times to grab some songs from my mixtapes. The album wouldn't end up charting on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart. With that all being said, the track I'm going to play is taken from my original German import pressing of the album, which turns out to be the first order I'd ever placed on Discogs back in 2016, before I would also acquire the Music on Vinyl limited and numbered 180-gram translucent red vinyl pressing in 2018. It's the album opener and first single and video from Act 3, and once again, the song is called Seemingly Endless Time.
That was Death Angel with Seemingly Endless Time from the album Act 3. And next up is going to be a third album, which also hit its 30th anniversary, having been originally released under a month prior to Death Angel's Act 3 on March 12, 1990, and would be their major label debut for Epic Records. The album I'm talking about is Beg to Differ by Prong. The track I'm going to play was a mainstay by default for a few years on MTV's Headbangers Ball, as parts of this song and Steady Decline were used during intro and commercial break segments on the show. Hype stickers for the album would make note of this at the time, such as the version found on my original CD I'd picked up at Record Factory around the time. Taken from my very first music on vinyl pressing I'd ever acquired back in 2014, which is a limited and numbered pressing number 155 of 750 on a turquoise with blue, green, and white 180-gram vinyl pressing, which was released on January 20th, 2014. Here's the third track on the album, which you would have heard the most clips during the intro and commercial breaks on MTV's Headbangers Ball. And the song is called Lost and Found.
That was Prong with Lost and Found from the album Beg to Differ. And next up is another New York City-based band, Scatterbrain, who released their debut album, Here Comes Trouble, 30 years ago on March 20th, 1990, following some changes in band personnel and a band name change after releasing two LPs previously as Ludacrist between 1986 and 1988. I had discussed how I got into Scatterbrain on episode 9, another random set of 25 songs, the November 2019 edition. To sum up the story again, the Verderami brothers and I were turned on to Scatterbrain thanks to our weekly visits to Record Factory at the time. One of their employees by the name of Charlie, who would often try to turn us on to newer bands, played a song called Down With The Ship on the store's stereo system. This song was previously recorded by Ludacrist on their 1986 debut album, Immaculate Conception, and was reworked for its inclusion on Scatterbrain's debut album, Here Comes Trouble. This track is famous for it being built around random parts of well-known songs by various rock and metal artists of the 70s and 80s, and with it being so cleverly pieced together would easily attract our ears at the time, which would prompt us to buy the album. I would originally pick up a copy on vinyl at that time before eventually getting the album on cassette and CD years later. Back in October of 2019, I acquired a much nicer copy of the album on vinyl, as I'd explained on episode 9. The album would go on to peak at number 138 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart. So, with that all being said, taken from that same newly acquired vinyl copy... Here is Scatterbrain with the track that led us to buy our copies of Here Comes Trouble. It's the second single and video following Don't Call Me Dude as heard on episode 9. And the song is called Down With The Ship. Hey, 
That was Scatterbrain with Down With The Ship from the album Here Comes Trouble. As it's time for another New York-based band whose second album recently hit its 25th anniversary. The band is comprised of former members of legendary New York hardcore bands Youth of Today, Gorilla Biscuits, Bold, and Burn. The band I'm talking about is post-hardcore legends Quicksand, and the album is entitled Manic Compression which was originally released 25 years ago on February 28, 1995, and would go on to peak at number 135 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart. I still remember going to buy the original CD at Record Factory right after school during my senior year on the day of release 25 years ago, transferring from the B or D train to the B64 bus to head right over to Record Factory to buy the CD, and I didn't care about stopping home first to change out of my school uniform. Every time I listen to this album, it's what immediately comes to mind first. Taken from my 180-gram black-and-white vinyl reissue that was released and acquired sometime in 2017, here's one of my favorite tracks on the album and throughout the discography of Quicksand, which features one of my favorite one 2 3 4 counting sections of all time nearing the end of the track. And the song is called Thorn in My Side.
That was Quicksand with Thorn in My Side from the album Manic Compression. As now it's time to flash further back 20 years from 1995 to 1975. As the next album up on this final versary edition was originally released 45 years ago on February 24th, 1975. The band I'm talking about is Led Zeppelin and the album is the legendary double LP entitled Physical Graffiti, which featured outtakes that were previously unreleased from prior album recording sessions, along with newer tracks specifically written for the album. Physical Graffiti would end up peaking at number 11 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart, going on to multi-platinum status as it has sold over 16 million copies to date. The track I'm going to play is taken from the 180-gram vinyl reissue that was remastered by Jimmy Page and was released 40 years to the day of the original release of the album on February 24th, 2015. And it's a favorite track of mine on the album for many years. It's the kind of song with a title that can get me in the mood for a certain kind of soup. And the song is called The Wonton Song.
That was Led Zeppelin with the Wonton Song from their double album from 1975, Physical Graffiti. As we're going to move forward five years and acknowledge three albums from 1980 from three well-known British bands, which recently turned 40 years old. First up is the debut album from Def Leppard entitled On Through the Night, which was originally released 40 years ago on March 14, 1980, following two initial debut singles on Vertigo Records in November of 1979 and February of 1980 for the songs Wasted and Hello America, two singles which I had acquired from Discogs in recent years and were also spun and posted to the I Am Vinyl podcast Facebook page for their respective 40th anniversaries. On Through the Night would go on to peak at number 51 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart and has been certified platinum as of 1989. My brother Vincent had given me a mid-to-late 80s Black Mercury Records label reissue for my 12th birthday back in 1988, along with a Black Mercury Records label reissue of their second album, High and Dry, with two added bonus tracks. And then a few years back, while we were shopping around some various record shops in New Jersey, I picked up original vinyl copies of the U.S. pressing with the Skyscraper Mercury Records label, and an original U.K. pressing on the Vertigo Records UFO label in one of the stores that we had visited. This has been a favorite go-to album for me for a long time, along with their second album, High and Dry. And for me personally, I feel like On Through the Night is one of the more underrated debut albums of the 80s, because of what would follow afterwards, with albums like Pyromania and Hysteria becoming multi-million and multi-platinum sellers, respectively. Taken from my original U.S. vinyl press, with the Skyscraper Mercury Records label, the track I'm going to play is their updated album version of the first single that was released on Vertigo Records, which always brings to mind early Iron Maiden with Paul Diano and still occasionally appears in their live sets when they decide to acknowledge their earliest and heavier material prior to Pyromania. It's the opening track on side two, and the song is called Wasted.
That was Def Leppard with Wasted from their debut album, On Through the Night. And next up, I'm going to follow up with a band that I had mentioned before while queuing up Wasted to play a few minutes ago. It's the self-titled debut album from Iron Maiden, which was originally released a month after Def Leppard's On Through the Night, 40 years ago on April 14, 1980. The album would not chart on the U.S. Billboard Top 200 Albums chart, and there's no RIAA certification information available. But the album would peak at number four on the Top UK Albums chart. One of the first albums by Iron Maiden that I got into and which made me become a fan and further interested in their discography up until 1990, when I was becoming more interested in their music, beyond a few recent singles that I'd known about, was their second album during their initial run with Paul Diano fronting the band for their first two albums, which was entitled Killers, released less than a year later on February 2, 1981. I would eventually hear their self-titled debut for the first time a little bit later, once I started borrowing cassette copies from the Verderame brothers and other friends at the time. Eventually, Iron Maiden would become one of my all-time favorite bands, and I would get to see them live a bunch of times during the respective Bruce Dickinson and Blaze Bailey lineup eras, and when the more recent black vinyl 180-gram vinyl reissues were released, starting in 2014, I would end up acquiring all of them along with all of the reissues of their 7-inch singles from the 80s. With all that being said, taken from my 180-gram vinyl reissue, released sometime in 2014, here's one of my favorite tracks and singles from the first two albums with Paul Diano fronting Iron Maiden. It's a song I would personally request to be in a set list while I was playing drums years back as part of an Iron Maiden tribute show, and was the first single released from the album on February 8, 1980. And the song is called Running Free.
that was Iron Maiden with Running Free from their self-titled debut album. And next up is the third of three British bands to have an album turning 40 years old over the past few weeks. It's the sixth studio album released 40 years ago on April 14th, 1980 by Judas Priest entitled British Steel, which happens to have been released on the same day as Iron Maiden's self-titled debut. It's an album which would propel Judas Priest to bigger heights of popularity after three well-received studio albums following signing to Columbia Records, after initially releasing their first two studio albums on Gull Records. The album would go on to peak at number 34 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart and has been certified platinum with over a million copies sold to date. It would take me some time to get into Judas Priest, and I believe I'm one of many fans who got into them during the Painkiller era in 1990. Otherwise, I'd mainly known Judas Priest for some of their hit singles and videos that would air on MTV's Headbangers Ball. But it was the Painkiller album that I would purchase first when I found a used CD sometime in late 1990 or early 1991. Later on, I would begin collecting all of their officially released studio and live albums on CD and vinyl. And in recent years, I picked up all of the We Are Vinyl 180-gram vinyl reissues that have been made available, along with a few other newer reissues, and only need to fill a few holes in my Priest vinyl collection with albums like Nostradamus, not seeing a reissue by We Are Vinyl just yet. The track I'm going to play is taken from my 180-gram We Are Vinyl reissue of British Steel, which was released on November 17, 2017. And in this instance, I'm not going to play one of the well-known singles that have been heard countless times on classic rock radio. Instead, I'm going to go with a track that's been in Priest's live sets throughout the years. And it's a term that has been universal for Judas Priest among their most devoted fans. And the song is called Metal Gods. Drop that. 
That was Judas Priest with Metal Gods from the album British Steel, ending a block of recent and notable anniversaries by a few highly notable British bands. And next up is the only album on this episode which recently hit its 50th anniversary, having been originally released 50 years ago on March 25th, 1970. It's my favorite go-to album of the discography of Jimi Hendrix, and one of my top five all-time favorite live albums. A six-track live album entitled Band of Gypsies, which was recorded live on January 1st, 1970, and released less than three months later to fulfill a contractual obligation to Capitol Records. The album would go on to peak at number five on the U.S. Billboard Top 200 Albums chart, and would also peak at number 14 on the U.S. Billboard R&B Albums chart, and would go on to be certified double platinum as of 1998, with over 2 million copies sold. The track I'm going to play is my favorite on the album, and it's a song that's referred to in one of the many documentaries produced about Jimi Hendrix when the Band of Gypsies era is discussed. In particular, bassist Billy Cox talking about how he and Jimmy would playfully try to outriff each other while jamming in the studio. For me personally, one of the best heavy groove-oriented live jams ever committed to tape, and showcasing just how great the chemistry was between bassist Billy Cox, drummer Buddy Miles, and Jimi Hendrix. And the song is called Power of Soul.
That was Jimi Hendrix and the Band of Gypsies with Power of Soul from the live album Band of Gypsies. As we're heading closer to the end of this episode with two tracks left to go. This next album turns 30 years old today as of the release of this episode. Having been originally released 30 years ago today on April 17th, 1990. One of my all-time favorite unsung bands of the 90s, and overall for me personally. The band is Warrior Soul, and I'm talking about their debut album, Last Decade, Dead Century, released by DGC Records, the imprint label as part of Geffen Records. As with so many bands I've mentioned previously on this podcast, I would discover Warrior Soul thanks to MTV's Headbangers Ball, when their first video and single for We Cry Out was released and aired for the first time on the show. Metal magazines at the time, such as Rip, were also hyping them up as one of the next big bands, as I recall, at the time as well. Unfortunately, this would not translate into big sales, and their debut album, Last Decade Dead Century, would not chart on the U.S. Billboard Top 200 Albums chart. However, it would begin to build up a cult following amongst fans, such as myself and a few friends of mine, and a few of us would end up attending a couple of live shows a few years later at Brooklyn's famous rock and heavy metal club, L'Amour. After I received my first CD player for my 14th birthday, a little over a week after the album was originally released, it would end up becoming one of the first five CDs I'd ever purchased when I picked up Last Decade Dead Century at Record Factory, along with Steve Vai's Passion and Warfare, both of which I still own today. Later on, when eBay became a thing, I ordered a couple of promo CD singles for We Cry Out, and another promo version of Last Decade Dead Century on CD in a mini gatefold digipack cover to join my Warrior Soul CD collection of their entire album output on DGC Records, and a few of their follow-up independent releases following their contractual obligation to DGC Records after recording four albums for the label. Once I started collecting vinyl again more heavily nine years ago, they would be one of the main bands I would want to acquire at least their first four full-length albums on DGC Records if I could, which is exactly what would end up happening, and a few years ago I completed the entire DGC Records collection, scoring an original U.S. gold stamp promo copy of Last Decade Dead Century, an original German pressing of their second album, Drugs God and the New Republic, both acquired in 2014, followed by acquiring the very limited white vinyl pressings, limited to 500 copies, of their first three albums on DGC Records, with their third album being Salutations from the Ghetto Nation, released by Livewire Cargo Records in 2010, which I acquired back in 2017, to then be followed by acquiring their final album of their contractual obligation to DGC Records, Chill Pill, which was released by Night of the Vinyl Dead in Italy on a yellow and orange splatter vinyl in January of 2018. A story which I talked about on episode 7, another random set of 25 songs, the October 2019 edition, when I played the song Shock 'em Down. Taken from my original U.S. gold stamp promo copy, here is the first single and video released on Warrior Soul's debut album, Last Decade Dead Century. And for those of you listening who are fans of New York hardcore music, check out the video on YouTube 
and you'll find Sammy Sigler from Youth of Today, Judge, Project X, Side by Side, Gorilla Biscuits, Civ, and Rival Schools behind the drums for the video before they'd find a new drummer, even though he wasn't in the band and did not play on the album, which I assume was due to his association with legendary producer Don Fury and Warrior Soul having recorded some demos at Don Fury's recording studio before Last Decade Dead Century was recorded and released. And the song is called We Cry Out.
That was Warrior Soul with We Cry Out from the album Last Decade Dead Century. As now it's time for the closing track for today's episode and in acknowledging some notable milestone anniversaries. On the last episode of Another Random Set of 25 Songs, the February 2020 edition, I explained how I initially got into Alice Cooper following the release of his 1989 comeback album, Trash, when I played his comeback to the top 10 singles chart with the first single released on that album, Poison. Following that episode, Alice Cooper's first official solo album, Welcome to My Nightmare, turned 45 years old, having been originally released on March 11, 1975. On January 23, 2018, Rhino Records reissued the album again, limited to 6,200 copies on a translucent purple vinyl as part of their Start Your Ear Off Right special releases, which I'd end up acquiring soon after to join all of the more recent colored vinyl reissues by Rhino Records that have been released over the last few years. The album would end up peaking at number 5 on the U.S. Billboard Top 200 Albums chart and has been certified platinum as of August 14th, 1990. Taken from my translucent purple vinyl pressing, here's a song that would end up becoming one of Alice Cooper's biggest top 20 hits, peaking at number 12 on the Billboard Hot 100 singles chart, which I'm going to send out to cnjradio.com and Rock Strikes 10's very own Joey Haney, being that Alice Cooper is one of his all-time favorites. And the song is called Only Women Bleed. Only women bleed 
Only women bleed Only women bleed That was Alice Cooper with Only Women Bleed from the album Welcome to My Nightmare, featuring some of the best chill-inducing vocal harmonies, which I would expect from an album produced by Bob Ezrin in the 70s, and after mostly playing heavier tracks throughout this episode, I thought it would be nice to end the show on a mellower note. And that is going to wrap it up for this episode 
of the I Am Vinyl podcast, which I hope you all enjoyed. And as always, I encourage you all to please check out our other shows here at cnjradio.com, The Wrestling House Show, Rock Strikes 10, The Synaptic Empire, Talking Rock, and The Last Theater. So until next time, thank you so much for tuning in to the I Am Vinyl podcast, and we'll see you next time for our next episode right here at cnjradio.com. Com. Com. Com.